strengthen, Lord, that you would superintend each detail of the service and be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And we are moving on in our series, uh, Searching for the True Church. And by this, we simply are trying to help people understand, because every church you go into uh, claims to be the real church. Uh, how many of you attended a different kind of church before you came here? And, it to- and they told you they were the only true church. Now, we don't want to just join the course of everybody saying we're the right church. Uh, we believe that there, there is... Uh, a very simple biblical answer for for that question. And so what we've been doing the last 10 or so Thursday nights is, again, we just try to put these together. We call them Baptist distinctives. And someone, uh, several people have said, but distinctives is not a noun. I, I want to challenge you. Look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary. That is the lexicon of the English language. And it does say, rare, obscure usage, that the word distinctives can be used as a noun. And so we do that. And uh, because we're rare and obscure anyway as Baptists. Amen? And... Uh, so, uh, we ju- I just arranged it in an acronym, Believer's Baptism, Authority of Scripture, the Priesthood of the Believer, two officers, two ordinances, independent local churches, salvation by grace through faith, and traceable historically to Christ. Now, we got to be careful, uh, uh, and and uh, we're trying to go through this thing uh, exactly what we mean. Believers' baptism is very simple. You got to get saved first. Isn't it amazing how many churches say, "Come, get baptized, be a member of our church, do everything we say, and maybe someday you'll be good enough to get to heaven." I, I love telling people it doesn't work that way in the Baptist church. You see. That getting saved is not the end goal. Getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth or the hair of your chinny-chin-chin, that's for fairy tales. Uh, If you're going to get into heaven, you're going to do so through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is a full-blown effort. It is all the way or none of the way. That's what makes Baptists different, is we start out on our way to heaven. Believers, and then we baptize you. And by the way, if you, well, anyway, we can't reteach that lesson. Let's keep going. Uh, we believe in the authority of Scripture. This is the court of final appeal. And by the way, if you're the only one in the world smart enough to find it, you're not near as smart as you think you are. Because the Bible's plain, it makes sense. And if you're the only one that can see it, well, it's probably not in there. But this is, uh, those that have been around here, how many times have you heard me say, if you, if you listen to the sermons, go home and check it out. Make sure. That's your responsibility as a member. That's what we mean. 
in the authority of Scripture. You have things that you're supposed to do. And we talk about the priesthood of the believer, and of course this overlaps a little bit, but uh, I, I love the story. There was a big religious meeting and a lot of politicians there, and and some smart aleck from some other religion came up to the Baptist preacher who was writing the article, and he said, what have the Baptists ever done for the world? He said, how about freedom of conscience? You see, that's what we mean by priesthood of the believer. Every individual freedom we enjoy as Americans is based upon the Baptist, the Bible, doctrine of the priesthood of the believers. In fact, we don't have time to do this again, but if you want the answer for it, if you want to know where it's found in our documents... The priesthood of the believer could also be called the pursuit of happiness because they're talking about the exact same things. And so as we look through here, the Baptist church is the most simply organized church of all of the churches. We have two officers. We have Baptists and deacons. And by the way, is a church... Does a church cease being a church when it loses its pastor? No, it keeps going. But it's supposed to have a pastor, and, and a church is a church if it doesn't have deacons, but it's supposed to have deacons, amen? And, and the problem is, you've got to have people that are qualified and can do the job. By the way, the church at Jerusalem had about 12,000 members and only seven deacons. We'll probably be okay with an assistant pastor and a secretary. Amen? Uh, how can you have more simple organization than you do in a Baptist church? And our ceremonies, our ordinances are so simple. Baptism after you get saved, and Lord's Supper. By the way, if you're not a member, you don't get to enjoy the Lord's Supper in the church. It's supposed to be local church. And that's why we have independent local assemblies. And then we get to the most important, and it just comes because S becomes before T in the word Baptist. But anyway, salvation by grace through faith. You know, if you don't have that, What do you have? And how in the world do people live who are trying to earn their salvation? I never have figured that out. How do you look yourself in the mirror? Or, on the other hand, what must you think about yourself if you think that you're on your way to heaven because of what you've done? It's kind of like that country singer... To know me is to love me because I'm nearly perfect in every way. I think I might be mixing up a couple of songs there, but uh, uh, there's no end to that kind of foolishness in the world. We don't need it in church. Now, when we talk about traceable historically to Christ, what we're looking for is we're looking for these distinctives. We've got to be able to follow, because Jesus made a promise. He said he would build his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
you know, have you ever been in a church that had the right name on it and, and even talked the right way, but Jesus wasn't building the church, somebody else was? You know what, that scares me more than going into a church with the wrong name and the wrong doctrine and the wrong everything because that one's easy to know. But Jesus said He would build His church and that the gates of hell should not prevail against it. These were His promises that this church would continue. I I love the way... uh, Thomas Armitage said it. He said, it's like a mountain spring. He said, we know the water's pure up on the mountain where it comes from. And we know the water's pure in the valley where we drink it. And to get out my pick and shovel and to try to trace the origin of the spring, he said, the only thing that I would accomplish is corrupting and destroying the spring. He said, if it's clean on the mountain... And it's clean in the valley. He says, I think I can trust God that it's clean in between. And that's what I believe about the history of our church. Now, I know some people argue with me about that, but I'm I'm not here to argue. Uh, We have independent local churches. Amen? And uh, so as we look here, we want to talk about the history of this church. See, the book of Acts And the letters to the churches were written. And so, can we see these same characteristics being carried through in the book of Acts and in the letters that Paul wrote to his church? Can we find those things? Well, how many of you believe we can? That shouldn't be hard to get from the time when Jesus walked the face of the earth to the churches that were started by his disciples and later the Apostle Paul, as recorded in the book of Acts. And these things are in here. And so, um, but we have problems in the churches. We get to Acts chapter 6. How far are we into the book of Acts? And they were complaining about unequal treatment in the church. The Jewish widows were getting their... Administration and the Greek, Grecian widows or the Gentile widows were not getting the same care or the same amount. And that's where the office of deacon came in. Now, we know that deacon is an office in the church because when Paul's writing the letter to Timothy to keep things straight in the city of Ephesus, he says, here's what a deacon is. Here's what a deacon does. Here's the qualifications for a deacon. Here's the rules for putting a deacon in. And this is how the word deacon wor- uh, the office of deacon works. Again, this same, did Jesus wash the disciples' feet? Did not, he was betrayed. He most certainly did. Did he command us to go and do likewise? Absolutely. But is there anywhere else in the New Testament that gives us how to wash one another's feet in a church service? Absolutely not. That's why it's not an ordinance. And so, we want to keep things simple. Because if we don't, how in the world are we going to explain it to other people? And Jesus said, except you be converted and become as what? Little children. 
shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I am glad the Bible is a simple book. And so we look here. We go to Acts chapter 20 and we have Simon coming around, the, the one that was the sorcerer. And, and uh, somebody said, he never really got saved. Well, what did he tell the uh, Peter when Peter condemned him and said, your money perish with you? He said, pray for me that that doesn't happen to me. You know, you read every history book about the early church and they take Simon and they call him Simon Magnus and they want to trace every foul doctrine to this guy. I don't know. A guy that says, pray for me that I will do right, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. How about you? If I have to trust the historians or the words of the man himself, I'll trust the words of the man himself and I'll pray that we'll be able to see Simon the sorcerer in heaven one day, a little, not a sorcerer anymore. Amen? Uh, he got that problem solved, we pray for. And, and we get to Acts chapter 15, and we have false teaching in the church. We have people coming down from the church of Jerusalem to the church at Antioch and saying, listen, you've got to be Jews in order to be saved. And if you have any church history book that's not Baptist, here's what it says. And they held the first church council in Jerusalem to solve the problem. If you've been here, you know what the answer is. Why did they go to Jerusalem? Because that's the church where the troublemakers came from. If somebody comes to this church from another church and starts telling me things, and starts trying to teach in the church, guess what? We're going back to that pastor and say, Hey, this loose cannon is yours. You take him back. We don't want him. Amen? Uh, and, and that's what was going on. In the, it, the Bible gets so simple when you keep it simple. Amen? And they were solving problems in the church. Now, let's look at some of the other things that happened in Corinth. If you read through the books, the books of First, Second Corinthians, you're going to find there were dissensions in the church, false doctrine, eating food sacrificed to idols. And the book of Galatians is the greatest treaty in our entire Bible on people trying to add works to salvation. You need the book of Galatians to deal with those problems. We we deal with Colossians, First Timothy, First Thessalonians. Materialism. Is that a problem today? People, what is it, uh, getting all you can and canning all you get? No, that, that's not the way it's supposed to work in the church. That's why I said you've got to mortify your members. That's what Colossians, he told, Paul told the Colossians. He told Timothy that if those that will be rich are going to destroy themselves and their families. And all you have to do is look at our presidential candidates, and that, I mean, that is verifiable truth in every part of their lives. It's sad, but true. Amen? And so, and by the way, I don't know where this comes from, but socialism. Everybody ought to be taken care of. You know, that's one of the problems 
with this purpose-driven life stuff is it makes the church into a social organization to meet your needs. That's not what church has ever been about. The church is the body of Christ. We've got work to do. Like fix the Union Baptist Church. No, um, that's just a little part of it. We've got work to do. We've got responsibility. There are things that God has intended for every one of us to do. And, of course, Third John, we can't mention problems without mentioning Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence. Well, I'll tell you what. We've, we've had those problems. Praise God, we've not had very many of that here in our church. But these other visiting preachers know we, we have problems with Diotrephes. He is alive and well. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, all of a sudden Diotrephes isn't very good anymore. Amen? He, he kind of pales in comparison. And in fact, that's the way Jesus planned it. That's why he said he would build it and he would keep it. And so, as we look at this church, we have its distinctive characteristics, its doctrinal things, but we also find out that true churches have true problems. So, Just because the church has some problems doesn't mean it's not a true church. Because the same devil that was working in the first century is working in the 21st century. And then we come here to the letters to the churches. And we need to spend a little time here. And let's just go to Revelation chapter 2. And I was going through some other notes here and... And I realized that uh, in times past, I've preached an entire sermon on each letter to each church. I said, I can't do that in this series. We'll, we'll never get through. So I'm going to try to give you seven sermons in the next 15 minutes, all right? Uh, we're just going to race through this thing. But chapter 2, verse 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. This was the church Timothy had been the pastor of. And uh, when it talks about angel, it's the messenger of the church. We believe in the simplest understanding this letter was to the pastor uh, of the church because God holds the pastor responsible for what goes on in his church. Read Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, he has to give an account. It's a, it's a scary thing. But it's biblical, and we've got to go forward with this thing. And, and Jesus says, listen, I know thy works, thy labor, verse 2, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and try them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, we've got to stop right here for a minute. How in the world did the church in Ephesus try them that said they were apostles, and prove them to be liars. How did that work in 100 A.D.? Anybody got the clue? You see, there was already an established 
doctrinal pattern and distinctively doctrinal pattern that belong to the true church. This is not something... Uh, I, I just love it when some... No, I don't. I, I get frustrated. My blood pressure goes up. Someone says, You know, it was the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. when Sunday worship was accepted in the church. And you can get more baloney at the deli counter. Amen? Uh, that's ridiculous. Someone said... Well, the canon of Scripture wasn't settled until the Council of Trent in 15-whatever-it-was. And I said, then how come we have complete copies of the Bible with every book dating back to about 150 A.D.? And we have translations that go back to uh, before 200 A.D.? Uh, Give me a break. These were not settled things in... 1500 and 325, these were settled things in 100 A.D. when John wrote the book of Revelation. They already had a set doctrinal pattern. The problem is the people that don't match up want to say, Me too, me too, we're a real church too. And we're not trying to be mean tonight. And I've come up with this phrase, I am not attempting to be unnecessarily offensive, but offensive I will be. Because if you're wrong, I have a duty to tell you you're wrong. Otherwise, I am neglecting my duty that is given to me in the Scripture. If I have to choose... Between being obedient to this book and being your friend, well, I'm sorry, you lose. Because friendship isn't determined on how nice I am. My friendship is determined on how much we agree on this book right here. I told a preacher that several years ago. I said, my friends are based on my doctrine. And he said, I'd like to think I'm a little bigger than that. And he got so big about that that he flunked out of the ministry. I I don't want to be that big. In fact, how can you be kind-hearted in endorsing untruth? Hello? Hello? You see, that's what Jesus commended the Ephesian church for doing. But he's going to condemn them, and we're going to have to move very quickly to get through all of this. He condemns them for leaving their first love. He says, listen, you're doing everything right, but you got a love problem. You see, what is the motivation for serving Jesus Christ. L-O-V-E. And that doesn't have a rainbow flag over it. I'm sorry. Because that's not love. It's not love to live against The words of this book. 
But if I ever enjoy preaching a sermon on hell, there's something desperately wrong with me. If I get to the point to where I enjoy the conflict, now I don't know why, but people would accuse me of that on occasion, but I don't ever enjoy conflict. I don't like confrontation. But if I ever shy away from it, there's something wrong. You know, it's like I was talking with the preacher. We were at a fellowship meeting, and he said, Brother, do you ever stop crying when they leave? And I said, you know, this is what I found. If you ever stop crying when they leave, something's wrong with you. But if you start compromising doctrine to let them stay, a whole lot more is wrong with you. You see, that's what was going on in the Ephesian church. Jesus said, go back and do the first works for the right reason. He said, I won't take your candlestick out. Now, this is another important point. That tells us that we can have churches that look, talk, walk. See, the church at Ephesus wasn't going to just disappear. In fact, we have historical records of the church at Ephesus up until... Uh, about 1200 A.D. But it had stopped preaching the gospel hundreds of years before that time. Why? Because somebody pulled the candlestick out, but the church didn't know it was dead. And it just kept going. And so here we have the precedent explained to us, if we'll look at it, that there will be real churches and there will be Not real churches. And the only way we can tell the difference is testing them according to the same test that the church at Ephesus was using in 100 A.D. when they received their copy of the book of Revelation. Are we still together on that? We've only got six more to go. And uh, it says here in uh, the church at Smyrna, And uh, it says that their commendations was they uh, endured tribulation and, and poverty. God said, listen, you're rich, even though you're poor. There's no rebuke to the church at Smyrna. And he tells them, fear not, endure tribulation, because I'm going to give you that reward. And then we go to the church at Pergamos. You know what? They were the proof text for the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Because it says, I know, verse 13, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. The gates of hell is where the king sat. And this was Satan's kingdom. And here was Jesus' church being faithful, even unto death, at the very place that the, Jesus said, that's where Satan's seat is. Some people thought it's New York City. It's not. It's Smyrna. And, and uh, I don't know if it still is. Uh, I'm not going to take any time to look for it there. I mean, Pergamos. 
And he says, but wait a minute, you've allowed false doctrine in. You've allowed the, ba- uh, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And people offer all kinds of explanations for this. But what did Balaam do? Balaam thought you could serve God for money. And he tricked other people. Almost sounds like TV. I'm sorry, TBN. Uh, there's always a dollar to be made, always money there. That, that's the doctrine of Balaam. Name it, claim it. Prosperity. This Nicolaitan, boy, you can find all kinds of things there. But the best thing I ever found, when I wish I could quote you the reference, was these were people who were careless about their holiness. And if there has been one characteristic about Baptists through the ages that really needs to be dealt with is a lack of personal holiness. So that's what I believe the Nicolaitans is. By the way, it's promoted in Mr. Warren's book excessively and emphatically and creatively and just about every other way you can put it out. If Jesus doesn't change you, what kind of salvation did you get? If the world still smells good, there, there's something wrong. Amen? There, there ought to be some things changing here. And, and so we have these uh, characteristics coming out. And here's the command, the instruction is you repent or Jesus says, I'm going to fight against you with the sword, which we know is the Word of God. And I'll tell you some of the harshest battles I've ever had to face in my ministry as a pastor is with other Baptist preachers who had sacrificed their personal holiness or were trying to make profits in ministry. Now, I've been accused of trying to make a profit in the ministry. You got a hundred thousand dollars. Okay. You come on over and I'll let you share in it. Right, Brother Darren? That's been fun, hadn't it? He he's ready to go home, I'll tell you that. We're working like dogs over there. Why? Because God's given us what we need to get started. And we're going to try to save that church. Not only the building, but the history. That's what I'm after. I do not want a church started in 1847 to have to die. Now, when we got it, uh, which one is it here now? Um, Yeah, Sardis was set in deep. I mean, rigor mortis, uh, it was was just as close as you can get. But praise God, it's still His church. And He's kept it alive. Amen? Amen? And so we look at the the next church here, Thyatira. Uh, They had works, they had charity, service, faith, patience, and they were doing more now than they'd ever been. The only problem was Jezebel was the Sunday school superintendent. Now, how would you like to attend that church? You know what this is telling us? Is that there would be collusion between some of Jesus' churches and false religion. 
But it's still Jesus' church. Jesus doesn't claim Jezebel or her children. He says, I'm going to cast them into tribulation. He said, those of you that still hold the truth, you just hold on. And I'm going to reward you. And so we get to the church of Sardis, which is the dead church. And what is told to happen there? He says, watch and strengthen that which remains. And you know, that's what Walter, the remaining trustee of union, did. He strengthened that which remained. He kept the corporation uh, viable and living. He kept the tax exempt open. Well, that's about all he did. But he did those things. If he hadn't, there had been no way to save that church. And now, we've got, we're moving forward. We have yet to see it with people in it, but we're going to one day by faith, I believe. Amen. And in reality, we go to the church of Philadelphia. And by the way, this is where we get the name for the open door Bible Baptist Church. We ask God to open a door for us because it would take a miracle. And it says, thou hast a little strength. You know what? That's still true of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. It's one of the reasons why I go to the fellowship meetings in Oklahoma. Because I like to look at some of those great big churches and, and how strong they are and all the things that they do. But they need to see us too and be reminded that those little churches that are struggling need help. And it is possible for us to serve God too. Amen? You see, that's how we work together as independent local churches to get the job done. And kept the word and, and has not denied my name. They were told to hold fast. The church at Laodicea, that's the famous church, the puking church. By the way, somebody came up with a puking revival several years ago. Anybody remember that? Uh, you walked into this church and you're given a uh, air, air sick bag, and if the Holy Spirit touched you, you filled it up. Literally, I said, "How in the world do you call that worshiping Christ?" But they they did. That's how ridiculous people get. Jesus said, "Listen, this church is lukewarm." He said, "You're wretched." You're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And the biggest problem is you don't even have enough sense to know how sick you are. So that's what the problem is. Could you imagine Jesus standing at the door and knocking to get into his own church? That was the Laodicean church. Aren't you glad Jesus is that patient? With us. I sure am. Now, I want you to notice just a few things and we'll be done. Did Jesus rebuke any one of these seven churches for violating one of our... Let me count them up again make sure I got that right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven, yes. I think I put eight in the notes. Oh, well. Uh, did Jesus rebuke any one of these churches in the book of Revelation for violating believers' baptism? 
the authority of the Word of God, the priesthood of the believer, for having a plurality of elders or deaconesses, uh, for having open communion, for establishing a hierarchy among churches, for teaching other ways of salvation other than Jezebel, for not looking to Jesus Christ. No, none of the churches were condemned for breaking any one of these distinctives. You see, they hold even when the church has trouble. When you violate these things, you take your name off the list of candlestick churches. You stop being a real church. You can forfeit that thing. That's how it started in the book of, uh, of, of Ephesians. And, and so, this is what makes church history so difficult. Is because you can have a church that in this century is doing everything right, and 500 years later, there's still a building there, there's still people there, but it's not a real church anymore. Now, let me ask you a question. Is it your job and my job to go through all the pages of history and discern every church so that we can come up with a palatable genealogy that preserves our history? Now, I know some people that do that, and I'm not arguing against them. I'm just saying what I do. See, I'm sent out of the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. If you know Brother Thompson, some of you remember we had him here several times. He was a lovely man. But I'll tell you what, you messed up. That guy could be downright mean. And that was a good thing. That's one of the things I loved about my pastor. I was afraid to do some things that some other guys were doing. Because I didn't want him knocking on my door. Amen? And I know Pastor Folger has traveled the whole way to another country to deal with a preacher that was ordained out of the church. It wasn't doing right. Knocked on his door and said, hey, we're here to deal with the problems. Of course, the guy was a coward and didn't want to answer the door and all those kinds of things. But, you see, that's how local churches work. Amen? We go to Romans chapter 4, and it tells us that Abraham is the father of us all. How many of you believe that you're the son of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ? I don't have one drop of Jewish blood flowing through my veins. i got just about everything else. But as far as I know, I don't have any Jewish blood in my family history on either side. But I'm still a son of Abraham. Because I believe in the God that Abraham believed. In fact, I believe exactly the same way in exactly the same God as Abraham did. It's just that I have a little more information than Abraham did. Amen? Could we use that as a precedent in searching for the true church? I've I've had him call that the... uh, Oh, now it slipped my mind. The spiritual um, descendants from the Anabaptist. Well, it's more than spiritual. 
because of this book. You see, I, I've given this example often. You have a, a preacher in the early 1500s. His name was Peter Reidman. Somebody gave me his book uh, to read. He said, Pastor, I think you'll like this. And I, I'm sitting here going, okay, Peter Reidman of the Hutterian Brethren in... in in uh, Baravia, uh, Czechoslovakia in the 1500s. Oh, man, this is going to be so exciting. I couldn't put the book down. You know why? Because I was writing our church constitution at that time. I was putting together our doctrinal statement. And Reverend Reidman would make a statement about salvation. I said, man, that's, that's perfect. I wish I could be smart enough to put it that way. Maybe I'll copy him down and put him in our church. Con- I didn't. I didn't plagiarize. But there's only so much difference you can make when you're explaining the Bible. Do you know every major doctrine that I explained in our church constitution, he was writing in a prison cell to keep his sanity. We have no connection whatsoever. But if he walked through those back doors, he would be happy to be a member of this church because we believe what he believed. You see, that tells us we have a common source, even if I can't find it physically under a magnifying glass. And, and it fits the pattern that Jesus established in the, through the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul to the Romans, saying, listen, there's only one faith. Abraham had it. We have it. And we have it at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And at other churches all over this country. You see, we have a common source. Because... No one but Jesus has ever saved the soul at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And that's true of every Bible-believing church in the history of the world. Only Jesus does the saving. Because it's His church. And He's the one that builds it. Amen? You know what? There was a set pattern that the church at Ephesus could apply and find out that those who were claiming to teach the truth weren't doing it. Today, there's a set pattern that we can apply. And we can test people in what they say. And if they don't agree with this book, it's not my job to go out and chop their heads off. And I try not to be too sarcastic when I explain their aberrant doctrinal positions. But when it comes to inheriting your own planet with a spiritual harem to produce your spirit babies, it gets really hard not to be just a little sarcastic now, doesn't it? I mean, that's craziness. Yet we had a guy who running for president who believed that stuff, and they wonder why he lost. I don't. Anybody with a lick of sense would know somebody dumb enough to believe that doesn't deserve to be president, even if we got the other guy. It's scary stuff. 
You see, my responsibility is to God first. And that's why we have a church called the Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And we're going to open the pages of history. We're going to find some really whack things. But you know, most of history was written by liars. Amen? The only thing they teach about George Washington today was that he chopped down a cherry tree, something that never happened. That was part of the Fourth of July sermon. Why don't we... Why don't we teach the truth about these men who loved God and loved His Word? I I like this story. You see, he would go to the Anglican church because that was the church he was supposed to go to. Then he would have his carriage driver when he was in New York City wheel up to the open window at First Baptist Church in Manhattan and listen to John Gano preach the Bible. And when the British disbanded John Gano's church and refused to allow them to meet because they weren't Church of England, John Gano became George Washington's personal chaplain throughout the Revolution. By the way, there's a very famous portrait of John Gano baptizing George Washington. You know what? Baptist preachers don't baptize people that aren't saved. So I have every expectation of seeing George Washington on the right side of eternity. Now, there's some other Baptists who were presidents that I don't have much hope for. See, it's not in the name. It's in the doctrine. But the name means something. And we're not going to give it up in spite of Bill Clinton. We're not going to give it up in spite of other people who claim to be Baptist, of whom shall remain nameless, because we don't want to sully the pulpit by naming their names and all of their deeds. It historically connects us to people who have just believed the Bible. And so, Lord willing, in the next few weeks, we're going to go through some of that history. I hope history isn't boring to you. I love history. I love the story of Balthasar Hubemeyer. How many of you know that that was a real person? He was a Baptist preacher. He was a contemporary of Zwingli and many of the other quote-unquote reformers. Balthasar Hubemeyer had recorded 250,000 decisions for Christ in a five-year ministry. And he died a martyr, burned at the stake. Because he refused, like Luther and Zwingli and others, to take the protection of a physical army to serve the risen Savior. I like Balthasar Hubemeyer. He's one of my heroes. You know why? Because he believed this book just like we preach it today. And he died for it. How could we be unfaithful to such a testimony by compromising and allowing Jezebel to come in so that we make a few friends that we didn't need in the first place? Amen?
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You, and Lord, we ask one thing. Like the church in Philadelphia, that You would keep us faithful, that You would help us never to deny Your name, and to keep the word of Your patience till You come. Lord, it's not our strength, it's You who open the doors. And we're so thankful for the ones You've opened for us. And all we ask, Lord, is strength to keep walking through it. Lord, we ask that you would help us to commit once and again to just being simple and to be biblical. We don't have to be mean, but Lord, we certainly want to be true. And we ask you to help us in this. Help us to see that history is not near as complicated as people would like it to be. It can be very simple if we'll just open the Bible and let it discern for us what it says. We ask you to work in our hearts and lives to keep us true. That you would use, that you would build in our lives, that you may use us to build your churches. Before we finish that prayer, you need to just slip out and spend a few moments. The altar's open. Then we'll be dismissed.